0: I've decided to treat this as a Babylon 5 episode. So, towards the end of this episode, we're going to get all controversial. But I won't talk about that now. Let's just talk about the episode, because it's not a particularly good episode to begin with. Um, I have a couple things to talk about the the behind-the-scenes stuff, but pretty much all of that is more relevant in the controversy box we'll be doing later, rather than right now. So for the moment, all I have to say is that this is our very first mention of the Romulans so far in TNG. Have you noticed that? Now, it makes sense why in hindsight, and I've already explained this to you, but this is me showing my work. This is the first time that we have actually had the Romulans replace the Ferengi. Because it was supposed to be Romulan battlecruisers moving on some kind of outpost or whatever. And, as I mentioned, after both the last outpost and the battle, the d- the creators and developers were like, eh, 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 to the Ferengi, so uh, instead they just kind of got shifted to the Romulans. Now, I'll talk more about that in- extensively later, but I just do find that fascinating how that happened completely by happenstance. As much as certain races do have a lot of presence in TNG, uh, most notably the Klingons and the Borg, if you really sit back and look at TNG... Oh, and the Cardassians. If you really sit back and look at TNG as a whole, the closest thing to TNG had to a regular villain was actually the Romulans. And all of that happened because the Ferengi sucked. Interesting. Moving on. So, uh, hang on, i got to skip down about halfway down my notes here. Uh, here we go. Okay, so... The Enterprise-D, flagship of the Federation, is out looking for a freighter that has been overdue for checking in for seven years. (laughs) Seven years! Seven flippin' years! Do you... I mean, just... Can you comprehend that for a second? Imagine if if you know any other organization, you know a ship goes missing, and then seven years later they're like, "Oh, we should look into that, shouldn't we?" All right, let's go look into that. I guess. I mean, if we have to, what the hell? You know what actually happened? So they were cruising around their dad's old van, and they're like, "Man, you know that old Billy from down the street? I haven't heard from him in years." Let's go check him out, man. Yeah, and then we'll hit Del Taco on the way. Cause for, I, I've been in the mood for Del Taco. What do you want from me? Oh, my God. The USS Dad's old van is just where this keeps going. So then, then this episode has another problem. The guest stars. Now, all of them are kind of crap, but I have to give special attention to... Uh, the, the, the elected one. I, God, I can't remember a freaking name. The, the leader of Angel One's planet. They might be like, why? Well, they demanded three things of their actresses for the roles in general, but most notably for her. They wanted someone female. Obvious. They wanted someone tall. She's actually probably about six foot. She's probably about my height, because I've seen her standing up next to Jonathan Frakes, and Frakes is just a little bit taller than me, like two inches taller than me. So she's probably about my height. Still, they wanted a tall woman. Okay. Here's the problem. This person had to be an actress who was cheap. Remember, TNG Season 1 had horrible budget problems. So they spent crap, and they got crap. She's not a good actress. I'm sorry. It's... Her performance is actually so distracting that I had to rewind a couple of scenes sometimes to to, to really focus on what she was saying and the events of the plot, because it's just like... It reminds me of what most people do when they first get into things like theater. For example, you know, when... Uh, I don't have anything here to read. Uh, but, you know, you get in front of the thing, and you just you know, pull out the script, and it's like, Yes! You are, I'm not going to read my actual notes here, but, you know, you are in the thing. Where are you going for the place? Well, if we're going to the place, we're going to the thing. And just, you know, it's hard to describe. Just watch the episode. You'll see what I mean. And then, of course, uh, whoever wrote this episode, uh, I don't think they know how dialogue works. There's a lot of lines in this episode, quite a few of them, actually. I only wrote down two, where... It sounds like something that's meant to be significant or like a wise kind of a saying, like something, someone saying something to be clever, for example. And then what actually comes across is when you think about it, like, wait, wait, what? I'm sorry? Did you actually in convey any information with that? Here's the two examples I wrote down. Uh, Data asks the very reasonable question, what do we do if they deny the existence of people? You know, what's our next step? Riker's response is, here's the quote, let's not look for problems. The other quote that I wrote down is later on, you know, the elected one says, make sure that faith is not misplaced. It's, it's, maybe it's just her performance, but that line just kind of made me go, what is she actually saying there? Is this supposed to be a threat? Is this some kind of promise for cooperation? I mean, I don't freaking know. Anyways. So, I have a very minor plot point to bring up here. Very minor, okay? Um, they never really explain where this virus comes from. Now, that's important. The, the virus. Because the virus is one of three aspects of the plot that's specifically constructed to have a dilemma. Now, I've spoken extensively on my show about how hard it is to produce a dilemma for people who have access to great power or great technology. Okay. I've, I've talked about this extensively. So, you know, on the surface, I get having multiple vectors of problems to try and create an overall more complex problem so that the crew can't just like they otherwise would be able to. In fact, a couple of times in this episode, they try to. The problem's away and they can't because of the vector of problems. Thing is, this virus is very important for that purpose. Otherwise the episode would be resolved literally 15 minutes early. So where'd it come from? They mentioned this musky scent that just comes out of nowhere and causes some kind of inhalation thing which then causes the virus to mount blah, blah 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 blah. Where does it come from? by basic impression, you get the idea that it came from the holodeck. From when they were doing their little alpine thing. Now, that's probably not true, because it doesn't make any damn sense. But bear with me for just a second. Assume the virus actually came from the holodeck, and interacted with this musk, okay? (laughs) That means... The events of this entire episode hinge on a ridiculous idea. The idea that someone opened the doors to exit the holodeck, left them open, and then tried to fling snowballs out the door into the hallway. That's, that is mandatory for the construction of these events. i actually have tried i've i've twisted my brain around trying to figure out what the hell was going on that allowed those that sequence of events to happen as is the best i've got is that the door opened wesley went to leave someone threw a snowball at him he turned started throwing one back and then as the next one was coming after him he ran out the door and that's when he when the snowball hit picard and he ran into picard more or less literally uh I mean, I guess that works. It's certainly a unique set of circumstances. Also, of course, the snow stays because it's probably replicated, not, you know, whatever. I've talked about that before. I just, I'm only bringing it up because I've heard a lot of people point to this as as a continuity error. I don't think it is because snow replicated easy moving on. So, snow happens, virus happens. Uh, then they go back to the planet. And apparently the writers of this episode, and I have to say that plural because I know there was a lot of people working in on this episode, including Ronberry, actually, uh, since this episode was being produced before uh, Datalore. Um, so they're working on this one, and <laughs> Data tries... <laughs> I'm sorry, this... Uh, the, the the central plot, the the down on Angel 1 plot, genuinely feels juvenile to me. It really does. It feels like something that a... Amateur or aspiring writer who is a teenager uh, would write while hormon- hormones are a flare-in. You know what I mean? Because data, uh, because of everything, but it, also data doesn't know what an aphrodisiac is. Now, uh, that's a word, okay? It's a basic English word that has applications even in the future, and yet data has never heard of that word before. I never encountered it. So they have to explain to him what an aphrodisiac is in in an almost, like, grinning, tee-hee-hee, it's-going-to-be-so-neat kind of a way. And that's how this episode treats the, for lack of a better term, sexual side of things in a nutshell. Tee-hee-hee. And you know what's weird? I hate to to agree with sci-fi debris on this because Lord knows I've already got so many comparisons between my show and his, but... It, very rarely have I seen Star Trek approach sex in a mature manner. Now, I'm not saying Star Trek hasn't been sexy. I mean, Gates McFadden is there. But Star Trek just has this really weird association with sex itself. The actual act of doing it. Oh, ho, ho. I mean, later on in TNG, we're going to have a, per- a perspective that's literally going to be, oh, they don't want sex because they're, they find it abhorrent, but, man, they're just going to really love it once they get into it, right? And, of course, DS9 has this whole thing about, oh, their sex is so great and blah, blah, But There's several instances of this in Star Trek, in TNG onwards especially. And it's, it's really bad in early Enterprise as well while I'm on the subject. And I just look at this and I think, Why? I I really legitimately don't understand why this is such a recurring thing throughout the franchise. (sighs) Anyways, so they talk about that for a bit, and then there's the dumb line I've already told you about. And then they say, all right, we're going to scan these people. We're going to find something that's unique to their species. Or excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Unique to them, you know, something that would be unique to the survivors that nobody else would have. Um, okay, that's a good idea. That's some good writing, especially the idea of, for example, scanning for platinum. Although, as the episode makes clear, it was by pure luck that they actually found some platinum, because there's only the bit on the necklace. So, uh, just spitballing here. Why don't you search for any humans on the planet? Remember, these people... (laughs) TNG does this a lot. Star Trek in general does this a lot. Despite the fact that they look literally human with basically no real changes to them, uh, they aren't. They are not human. So look for humans. The end. You win. Boo. Woo Woo! <sighs> uh, then they go and find the guys and they say, you can't force us to go. Uh, I mean hate to disagree with you, but yeah, we totally can force you to go. We may have moral or ethical compunctions not to, but we can totally frickin' kick your ass off this planet if we have to, boy. But then... (sighs) So I wrote down this note. I actually have very little to say on this episode until we get the controversy box. Um, I wrote down this thing, and I'm going to read this pretty much word for word from my notes. Odd question. Why do they refuse to remove these people by force, knowing death is an alternative? Right? Oh, right, because of the virus. Because, remember, they, they bandy that about, and then Riker agrees to face a court-martial, which is levels of ridiculous I'm not going to get into right now, and uh, the possibility of, of you know, violating his orders and his ethics and his credo, because he would rather face that than face their execution. And you know what? I like that little bit. It's probably one of the only bits of this whole episode I legitimately enjoy. That is very Riker. He mans up, he says, I'm going to deal with this situation, and I'm going to take ownership of it, and then he's shot down because of the virus plot. Remember, multiple vectors. So the virus plot prevents that, somehow. Now you might be like, what do you mean somehow? Uh, so you do know what a quarantine is, right? I mean, you have force fields, right? Obviously that wouldn't be ideal, because they basically be putting them in a prison, but if the alternative is execution, soon... Wouldn't beam them up into an area that's encased by force fields be a better idea? No? That's not feasible? Okay. How about a shuttle? Hmm? I, I know I keep bringing up the shuttle point, but you have shuttles. You can use them. Why not... <laughs> you know what? I'm actually going to stop. I could come up with several ways that they can deal with this, but okay, fine. So the virus plot prevents us from beaming them up for whatever reason. And then Riker, of course, orders Data to leave without them because of the Romulan plot. So now they have no Enterprise and no crew. Okay, I'm with it. Then, of course, Crusher solves it and figures it out and fixes everyone within minutes. Question, though. What about the Prime Directive in this? Actually, you know what? I'm going to save that. I'm going to move the Prime Directive discussion for a bit, okay? So we'll talk about the Prime Directive. Then I'll bring down the controversy box, or the Deutsch box, and then we'll talk about it. So, <clears throat> first point. These people have a disintegrator. <laughs> they have no other advanced tech of any kind other than computers. They're described as being mid-20th century. For a little bit of perspective, that'd be about 1950, give or take. A.K.A. when the original series was being made, if you want to stretch the definition of mid-20th century. So that's not super advanced. But they have disintegrators. Uh, Okay. Okay. I'm just going to let it go. Then Riker gives his speech. Now, this actually I find funny, even on repeat viewings. Because Riker gives a a Kirk speech, basically. He doesn't give a Picard speech. Picard speech is a different category. He gives a Kirk speech. And Riker's always been more the Kirk of the crew in TNG. So, he gives the speech. And then they all sit and they all look at them. And they say, alright, proceed with the execution. And what's hysterical is the camera then swivels over to Riker who basically goes, What? That's not what's supposed to happen. (laughs) Are you kidding me? It's it makes me laugh every time I see it like I actually wonder if Jonathan Frakes was 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 thinking hang on That's supposed to work It's the Kirk speech. I've watched Star Trek. Come on. You know if that was actually going through his head while he did that And so then they say very well we will spare them But we will isolate them from all these people and make them live in a completely separate area So let me get this straight these people didn't want to leave now Up until almost the end of the episode, that's portrayed as the fact that they didn't want to leave their families. That makes sense. I totally understand that. However, at the point at which it becomes clear that their family has been caught, their loved ones are part of this, so the Enterprise is now offering amnesty for you and your families, they still say no. They never really give an explanation for why. Now. I know that I'm a bad person to comment on this. I I am self-aware enough to acknowledge that I don't have this kind of mentality. I never have, and I never will. For me, home is where I am, where my family is, and occasionally, a coinciding place where the two both are. That's it. I don't think of home as a location. It's it's just not in my mindset. I understand that some people think of home as a location. I totally get that. I really do. What I do not get is people who think of home as a planet. Let me explain what I mean by that. Too often, and a lot of science fiction does this, Star Trek is especially egregious about this in, uh, in, in a lot of its works, they will treat a planet, which is a large thing, as like a county or maybe even a village in some circumstances. Occasionally, it'll even be a city-state. That's when they're getting really big. But for the most part, it's just this one tiny little area. So, in many instances in TNG, mostly early in TNG, they're like, oh, we need to relocate these people, or we need to go some other place. Ah, oh, there's no other room, or there's no other place to go. On the planet? I mean, Earth isn't even that large, relatively speaking, on a, on a galactic scale. And, uh, or I should say, on a, on a relative planet-size scale. And yet, I guarantee you that with, oh, I don't know, 1950s tech, if I moved you a thousand miles that way, you'd probably never see me again. Unless you made really careful and specific effort. In fact, to really make this point clear, if I moved you a thousand miles, let's say about that way, you'd be in such a different place, you might not even know you're on the same planet. Because there's a lot of different biomes on most planets. Most planets are not one uniform biome. And yet these people are so attached to the planet that they refuse to leave the planet, but they're totally okay with being relocated to another location as long as it's on the same planet. <sighs> Whatever. Um, is that it? Is that it? Is that all I've got? I think that's all I've got. All right, here we go. For those of you who just want to watch these for my discussion about the episode proper, please feel free to now stop watching the video. Or listening to the mp3 if you happen to be listening to this uh, in the mp3 format. (sighs) I am white, male, and heterosexual. And that means that it's almost impossible for me to talk about certain topics without people automatically attacking me because I am white, male, and heterosexual. Yes, I get the irony of that. No, I don't think it's funny. So... I know that I am automatically, just by literally bringing this topic up, I am painting a giant target on my head. But, I did it for Babylon 5, and by God, I'm going to do it for TNG and DS9 as well, because, to be blunt, I think these shows deserve to be properly discussed. And I think at least some of you will, hopefully, appreciate what uh, the best I can do for a proper discussion of this point. That being said, I am about to rant angrily about sexist topics. Okay? As your last warning. So, this script does what a lot of fiction does. I've seen this so many times. Um, they try to be very feminist by being very anti-feminist. Now, I want to explain exactly what I mean, and I want to be very careful of my word choice, because I don't want to be misrepresented on this. Lord knows I'm already going to get people flinging poo at me, I'm sure. But... <sighs> Let's look at the typical sexist situation. Men are superior and they look down at females. Okay. Right. Usual gender discrimination projection. Right. Okay. I think we can all be on the board of that. So what a lot of fiction will do is they just flip it and then it's okay. It's okay. We're not, we're not anti, we're not anti women. We're not anti feminist because we're, we're directing it at the guys now. So it's okay now. That's still sexist. I'm sorry, but it is. Because I've, I wrote down a couple of quotes. I really want you to think about this, okay? It, it, it just because there's this one society where one gen- gender dominates the other one so absolutely to the point of being a, a gender discrimination or bias or e- even domination situation, that's still sexism. It doesn't matter which direction it's going in. It doesn't make it better if the guys are the target of it. Now, obviously, it it also shouldn't be the girls of the target. I shouldn't even have to say that. The whole point is that there should be no one direction or the other. That's the whole point of that crap. (sighs) But I want you, anybody who's actually followed through through with me on this this far, I want you to think about these quotes. So, uh, we have found a a species which has a matriarchy, uh, is dominated by women, blah, blah, blah. uh, C- Councillor Troy, will you be the one to make contact? Okay. Now that seems fairly innocuous, right? Fast forward to Voyager, and I hate to use Voyager because I know sci-fi debris used this exact same example, but it's a good example because the Kazon are sexist pigs it's part of their character traits their culture is that the men are super dominant and they look down on the lesser inferior women and that is consistently portrayed in Voyager as bad as it should be because it is bad okay now I want you to picture that Voyager is making first contact with the Kazon Nistrum okay saying we need to reach out to them but because they are such a patriarchal society, Captain, I think, maybe, insert male character here, should do the contact first instead. Now, does that sound acceptable? Does that sound innocuous? Still a little debatable. debatable I'll grant you that. Let's move up to our next point. Oh, God, I forgot to mention this. Riker gives her the embryonic life form as a gift. <laughs> And now we know where, where Vosh ended up getting it from. Anyways, apparently Vosh is one of these people. So um <laughs> inside joke, some of you will get it. Uh I wrote this quote down word for word. I want to make this clear. Uh, except it's it's a long speech, I don't have room for it. So Picard's giving a log entry about here we have the Matriarchal Society. Here the female is the hunter, the soldier, larger and stronger than the male an arrangement considered most sensible and natural okay now that sentence just smacks of we're we're okay with we're pro feminists please don't attack us because let's flip it for a second let's go to the kazon again here we have the kazon a patriarchal society where the male is the hunter the soldier larger and stronger than the female, an arrangement considered most sensible and natural. And you can kind of see why the sentence falls apart when you actually start to think about it for a second. Even this could be kind of debated, because and the debate that I have heard, and I've actually heard this, leveled at this, is the idea that it's sensible and natural for one gender to be more dominant than the other. that's getting into some really uh, esoteric philosophy and, and it's something that can only be discussed in speculative fiction because here in real life obviously we don't have the concept of entirely separate alien cultures where sexual dimorphism might be a very real very strong thing actually I know this is weird Orville has actually discussed this topic recently. I haven't seen the whole episode, unfortunately. But I know Orville brought up this exact point. You know, the idea of an alien race that views gender roles completely differently than most other races, and the problems that arise from that. Yeah, I know, right? Orville did that, of all things. So, so okay, at least the door's still open for some reasonability. Here's my final hammer blow, okay? So, down on the planet, Riker pulls out this man bikini. Let's call it what it is. It's a man bikini. Okay, And he defends the fact that he's going to wear it because I'm visiting a head of state and I'm going to wear whatever is is acceptable for them. Then he brings up I wore fur in this other place and feathers in this other place. By the way, I'm just going to segue to once again point out that once again we have to all bow and scrape for whatever dickish whims everyone else does apparently in the Federation in this particular era. Because apparently we had to wear f- furs and feathers and a man bikini because they demanded it, right? That's how we d- do diplomacy, right? Just pointing it out because it's happening yet again. So then Riker actually comes out in it. And it's worth noting that that scene alone is just kind of eye rolling, but nothing. You know, it's still just kind of, oh, whatever. Then he comes back and Troy and Tasha pretty openly ridicule him, you know, they're 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 teetering, they're giggling about it, and Tasha even flat out says, man, it looks kind of sexy, and Riker, now this is interesting, watch this scene, Riker's clearly uncomfortable with this, and I'm looking at that like, oh God, you really went there, didn't you? Because Riker is clearly uncomfortable and awkward in this situation, but he believes this is his duty, his responsibility to do this, so he's just going to deal with it. Now flip it with the Kazon again. So there's this big meeting happening between, I don't know, uh, let's just use Janeway because she's the obvious choice, between Janeway and insert Kazon male leader here. Because of their customs, she's going to wear something that is a bikini, a female bikini in this case, Maybe a little more covering, but, you know, something that is clearly a negligee kind of a thing, in order to visit this leader of another head of state. Gives the exact same speech Riker did, and then when she comes out in it, um, Harry and and Tom start giggling and teetering about how she looks, and, oh, you're really going to wear that? And, oh, I think you look kind of sexy, Captain. And then the Captain, looking clearly uncomfortable, tries to defend it and walks off to her meeting. Now... Tell me that's acceptable. It's actually so obvious and overt, I feel like I don't even have an an additional point to make, because the episode makes it for me. It's very easy. Switch the genders, and you see the problem. Boom! This is not acceptable. I'm sorry. I don't agree. This is... you, You don't suddenly make things better by switching it, but keeping the problem. You don't suddenly make things better by showing, ha-ha, they're getting theirs now. Doesn't that make it better? That's not better. That's not progress. At best, that's petty vengeance. That's just you seeking revenge. ho oh, oh, ho oh, well, we've put up with this. Now you get to put up with this, too. That's not equality. That's not progressive thinking. That's not tolerance or acceptance or respect. That's just Petty. And it irritates me when fiction tries to pull this and play it off as no no it's okay, it's okay. And the funny thing is, I don't fully believe the behind the storys tale about why this happened, about certain people, one of which included Rodberry, insisting that this whole thing be as as you know pro-women as and anti-man as possible to, to satisfy the feminists. I remind you, this is the late 80s. I just want to give you a little bit of perspective on when this was happening. And (laughs) I I don't know if I fully believe that story, but there is, however, no doubting that that was the attitude that went into the episode itself. This episode's just an embarrassment. (sighs) Regardless, next episode, the Enterprise finally gets back to Earth dock to get its long overdue overhaul... And we will see some interesting things come of that when I see you guys next time.